And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you along with Russ Baker. We'll take your calls in just a moment here on Coast to Coast. His website is linked up at coasttocoastam.com. Russ, was Oswald indeed in that theater when he was arrested? Um, I, yeah, I mean, I think so. The, the question was, where was he and who else was there? Uh, you may know that... Uh, uh, there are eyewitnesses to have seen a second man who looked just like Oswald. Uh, they took uh, the the man that uh, we know as Oswald was taken out the front of the theater, but that a second man who looked almost identical was taken out of the back of the theater. Now, in your opinion, what was Oswald doing in the theater? The president's been shot. People are running all over the place. You go into a theater? Yeah, I mean... The best I can surmise is that he, uh, in whatever work he was doing, and as I think you know, I believe that he was involved in some sort of uh, activity that he believed to be uh, for the U.S. government. Of course, he would have probably never known who his ultimate bosses were. But in any case, he would get instructions, and uh, he was presumably given instructions of what to do in an emergency. Uh, and uh, it's not uncommon. Movie theaters were a place you would sometimes go uh, to meet uh, a contact, and he may have been told to go to the theater to meet a contact for instructions of what to do uh, in an emergency, which might have included, might have included that they needed to get him out of there. Is it conceivable when he said he's a patsy? that they have contacted him and said, something's coming down. We can't tell you what it is, but just be ready and be ready to, you know, you may get accused of doing something. Just be ready to, to take off. You think that's possible? I do. And you know something else? I mean, this man uh, uh, had been clearly told that he was going to be hired in that building, get the job in the building uh, and be there. Um, and so, uh, so the other issue is, of course, there's a president of the United States coming by. Normally, you're going to go out front. You're going to watch, I assume. I mean, even if you don't like it, you probably still you got nothing else to do. You're going to go outside. He was one of very few people who didn't leave the building, they say. They say. Now, you, you, you know there's this picture of somebody in the doorway, uh, and there's debate as to whether that was actually Oswald or not. Um, uh, but in any case... Uh, at a minimum, they find him on the second floor. Well, what is he doing in the building rather than going outside? Now, we also know that there was a phone there that he would use. He may have been told, you can't leave the building. You need to stay by the phone. Right. And they didn't have cell phones in those days. Right. And, of course, if they told him, you, need, you can't leave the building, <laughs> you need to wait for a call, why would they do that? Because they were planning to pin it on him, and they needed to make sure nobody saw him out front of the building. This scheme must have been plotted two years before it happened. Correct. I, I Again, George, my next book, I think I lay out. I, it's taking time, but I think I'm figuring out when this thing came together. But you're right. It, it was way in advance. What's your working title? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I keep thinking of different titles. It's, it's tough. It's an incredible story, though, Russ. Let's take some calls. Danny in Oklahoma City to get us started. Hey, Danny, go ahead. Hey, George. Uh, good program. Uh, Thank you, sir. Yeah, I, I had a question about uh, the uh, this uh, D.H. Bird that I, I guess you said that on the... Uh, he owned the building. He, he owned the building. Yeah, yeah. that he also owned a... Uh, 
a defense uh, weapons plant there in Dallas, too, and he had hired a man by the name of Mac Wallace, who um, who had previously, uh, at the time, recently been convicted and sentenced to prison for a murder. And yet he was out within six months, and this bird had hired somebody in a position that required a, uh, a you know, a, a top-secret clearance to work in that building. And it's, it's, you know, I've heard different authors, I think Roger Stone was one, who said that he, a lot of his research, you know, pointed that he, he may have been one of the assassins. And that this D.H. Uh, Byrd, he was a cousin of a senator from, uh, I think from Virginia, Harry F. Byrd. And that uh, they had, uh, you know, back in the early days of the CIA, uh, Lyndon Johnson had... Uh, Deep, deep intelligence and military ties had a Q clearance with the CIA. But uh, I just wanted your thoughts on that, because there was a Texas Ranger that apparently was investigating how this uh, Mac Wallace got out of prison. And by the way, he had ties with Johnson, mm-hmm. going all the way back to his earlier years in politics uh, as a congressman. And this Texas Ranger was looking into to see how he got out of prison after only serving six min, uh, months for murdering someone. And eventually this Texas Ranger that was looking into this, he was ran off the road and killed. So he, there's another one you can add to the list of people that mysteriously died that had ties to this. Yeah, uh, that's too long a story, unfortunately, for me to go into. But Mac Wallace is certainly an interesting figure. He had been the a student body president at uh, University of Texas, Austin, very popular guy. Johnson took his shine to him, and he began doing stuff for Johnson. Uh, There are indications that he may have been a kind of a hitman uh, for Johnson himself. And so uh, his tie to Byrd, obviously, very, very important. And didn't Byrd make millions of dollars once Johnson became president? Yes. Basically, what happened was he and a buddy uh, uh, with their they uh, uh, they they bought a whole ton of stock uh, in this corporation uh, that was a defense contractor they were involved with. They bought a ton of stock uh, uh, shortly before the assassination, uh, and of course Johnson took uh, took over. Kennedy uh, was was planning to get the U.S. troops out of Vietnam. This has been basically uh, muddled and covered up by a lot of establishment historians, but we have pretty clear documentation and testimony from people who knew Kennedy that he thought that Vietnam was going to be a quagmire and he wanted to get the U.S. out. Uh, And so Johnson, of course, took over and instantly committed to a massive escalation of the war. Uh, Fortunes were made. I mean, our whole modern, you know, military industrial complex comes out of Vietnam. And Byrd made a great deal of money himself uh, very quickly. Interesting. Horrible war. The mistake we made as a country we put down the troops when they came back, but the war itself was crazy. Yeah. Norman St. Louis. Hey, Norman, go ahead. Hey, happy Thanksgiving, guys. Thank you. You too. Thanks. Uh-huh. Um, I got a kind of a point to make. Is uh, I was born in 59. I remember being in grade school for the Kennedy thing, and most of the guests on, or guests, uh, people that call in on coast and whatnot are intelligent enough to kind of grab information, you know, the best they can from different sources and draw logical conclusions, and I'm one of them. And 
uh, it just seems obvious to me that, you know, there was CIA or mafia or something involved in this, you know, between that and Marilyn Monroe stuff and whatnot. And, but the thing I've noticed over the years is, you know, from Kennedy to Benghazi and Hillary and her emails, 9-11, all the way down the list, the 20 or 30 major conspiracy theories in my life have all been not conspiracy theories. They've <laughs> been proven uh, to be half facts to them. But when we're eating turkey and dressing tomorrow, one thing for sure is uh, the 3,000 people that died at 9-11 or John F. Kennedy, they, they won't be eating with us. So what does it really matter who killed them and who was involved? And we'll never know these things. Well, with conspiracy theories, they always say a little bit of that is truth. All tossed in. You know that, Russ? <laughs> well, I, I think the reason we do this work uh, is because uh, knowing uh, the truth about anything is important. And once you start saying, well, why bother? We're never going to know. Uh, you you defeat yourself, and, and I, I just think that's pointless. I mean, my whole career... Uh, and the reason that I founded Who, What, Why, we're a nonprofit news organization, is because I wanted to be able to uh, find out what the truth is. And, and you know, even in, think about your own lives, folks. I mean, you need to know the truth. You need to know uh, how your children are, how your uh, partner is. You need to know uh, how your health is. You're always investigating, aren't you? And so that's what we do as human beings. We investigate. Tell us about some of the top intelligence officials who were in an unusual place at the time. Well, the whole thing is just crazy. I mean, first of all, somehow they managed to get, I say they, but somehow the vast majority of all the leadership in the country uh, were, uh, uh, were out of the country that day. Now, I don't think it's ever happened before. They had uh, uh, one group was in Honolulu. Uh, another group was in Japan. I mean, I've been trying to go back and try to reconstruct how it was. And you say this thing had been planned for a long time. Well, they had all these things in place. And, you know, just to go into detail, I mean, getting back to Harold Byrd, for example, I mean, you know, they never interviewed him. They never asked him where he was, what he knew. And the way he avoided that was they put out this story that uh, – well, he, you know, he'd been away on a safari in Africa, and 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 on our site, and the article uh, gets into that. Uh, but uh, they, that he was ostensibly on a safari, but when you look into that, it looks like he was not on that safari. They actually, uh, uh, there's a picture of a of a of a of an elephant that he supposedly shot but although he posed whatever you know he used to do uh, all of his hunting was domestic this was a, a foreign trip but on all of his trips there he is the proud hunter you know next to the trophy he bagged and in this case he's not in the picture and somebody painted on the elephant Harold Bird you know and huh. the date Paul in Charlotte North Carolina go ahead Paul Hey thanks so much for taking my call uh, really enjoyable show. Thank you. Um, on a sad topic, but I've always been fascinated since I was a little boy with the Kennedy situation. And uh, I live here in Charlotte, but I've I've been to Dallas many times for work, and I've stood in every place that uh, where the whole Kennedy thing happened. Um, I stood in the place of the Zapruder film behind the picket fence, and um, when you stand behind the picket fence, it's even more point blank than it looks on on tv and uh i can't believe that a shot did not come from there 
compared to looking out the window of the book depository. But anyway, the one thing, there's so many things I could talk about, but the one thing I did want to ask, you mentioned the route earlier. The route was unknown. But then about two days before uh, Kennedy came, they changed the route uh, to go down, make the sharp right turn and then the sharp left turn in front of Dealey Plaza, which uh, Dealey Plaza is a very strange uh, piece of property. It's not really suited for anything, so they kind of made it a park. But the, the original motorcade was supposed to go down the, the main drag right past Dealey Plaza. But two days before the shooting, they changed the route to come right through the book depository, make the right, then the left, and then go back right on the, on the same main road that they were going to be. So you mentioned the route earlier, and the route is the one thing that's always stuck to me that they changed right before the shooting. Yeah, the, 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 all the planning about the route, and in my next book, when it comes out, we'll have a whole chapter uh, on the motorcade and the motorcade planning. But there's no question that that, uh, that, that change and then that, that, that dog leg, that turn, they, 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 what happened was because they went the way they went, they had to slow down to a real crawl. Uh, and, they had, and it brought them again right by that building uh, and then down through the triple underpass. So that is very, very important. How close was the prosecutor, Jim Garrison, to getting this story? You know, there's been this effort to sort of defame him over the years. Um, you know, he got a lot of things right. I mean, he focused uh, uh, on things like uh, powerful companies, uh, the oil industry. Uh, he was very interested uh, in the intelligence piece of this. I mean, I think that uh, he made a lot of mistakes. But look, I mean, there was no Internet. You know, there were people lying to him. His staff, by the way, was infiltrated by uh, uh, by CIA people who were trying to send him in the wrong direction. So huh. this guy was really a threat. Interesting. Cornelius in Louisiana. Go ahead, Cornelius. Hey there, George and uh, Russ. Happy Thanksgiving to all the audience and everything. You too, Corey. I'm glad you mentioned Big Jim Garrison. My attorney was um, Richard B. Burns. He worked directly under Big Jim Garrison and during this whole Kennedy assassination investigation. And he knew things. Authors would call him and stuff. His son is still alive. Mr. Burns is passed. His name is Demetric Burns, so you might want to look him up. He was my co-counsel because the FBI and the Federal Bureau of Prisons set me up in something. So he's quite familiar with conspiracies and stuff. But what I wanted to tell you, um, there was a, and I know why Kennedy was hated by uh, Southern whites and stuff. He would put blacks in like Abraham W. Bolden Sr., and he has the echo of Dilly Plaza in his book. I think he tried to prevent the Kennedy assassination. And Paul Landis, another Secret Service agent that worked for Jackie, has a book out called The Final Witness. And just like George, you were mentioning about Paramount Plus or the other guests before, uh, what the doctors saw and everything. So we need to watch all that stuff. But Norm's wrong. We got to find out about these conspiracies and stuff and try to hold whoever's left accountable and stuff. And like I said, George, I hope you'll get Abraham W. Bolden Sr. He's in his 90s. He would be a great guest. And I hope you, uh, Russ, will look up Abraham W. Bolden Sr. and uh, talk to him, too, and look up Demetric Burns. Because like I said, his dad knew a lot about Big Jim Garrison and the Kennedy assassination. 
I think it was the mob, the military industrial complex, and the CIA because they all hated Kennedy. So God bless you, George. Happy and blessed Thanksgiving to everybody. It's a combination. Uh, he was universally loved and universally disliked, wasn't he, Russ? He was. And by the way, I just want to mention, I know Abe Bolden quite well. I've spent time with him and uh, a very good man. He was the uh, only black Secret Service agent on the White House detail. Kennedy had picked him out personally uh, to come to Washington. He was hated by the whites on the Secret Service. And of course, you know what a terrible job they did that day. Uh, no, no security, really. Uh, but but uh, yeah, Abe Bolden has continued to tell his story that he thought that there was going to be an attempt against Kennedy. And then he was railroaded. He was framed, was sent to prison, uh, put in a mental hospital. I mean, these stories are right. Sound like movies. This is all true. It's it really is. It really is. And what's even bizarre, as you've just brought out uh, in your new book that you're working on, these strange and unusual deaths from witnesses. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, one, one of them was uh, one of the top guys in the FBI who was uh, head of their, uh, some of their most secret operations. William Sullivan uh, was in the time when they were all being called in to testify. Uh, he was uh, a shot uh, and killed by somebody who thought that he was a deer uh, in his own yard. A deer. Yeah, that's what they said. It's crazy times. What's the best place to get your book, by the way, on the Bush family, Family of Secrets? Yeah, Family of Secrets is the name of the book, and you can just get it online. It's a widely available uh, ebook, audio book, paperback, hardcover. Uh, the next one will come out eventually. People have been asking me for years, but you know, this is a kind of a life's work. It's pretty exhaustive. Um, I could, I could put out a 2000 page book where every, every page would be a, would be a real turner, but uh, uh, trying to work it all together and tighten it up a little bit. And hopefully it'll be out in the next couple of years. Well, you know, you'll be back for that, Rust, and uh, we're not going to wait five years this time. We'll get you back sooner. We're going to come back in a moment with Russ Baker and take final calls on Coast to Coast Day Out. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie along with Russ Baker. We are talking about the JFK assassination. He has been doing some uh, investigating, writing a new book that, as he said, will be done within the next year or two. Russ, you're a very careful, investigative author, reporter. What does your gut tell you about this case? Uh, you know, I, I always try to be agnostic about everything. And I've, I even today, after all the work that I've done and everything that I have found, uh, I still treat every single claim and every single document and every single uh, fact uh, as something to be dissected and considered. And so I'm constantly rejecting things and saying, well, I don't think this proves anything. But I would say that uh, I think that were I a trial lawyer uh, and I were presenting what I had found uh, to a jury, it would be a unanimous verdict uh, that uh, what we saw was the removal of an elected leader of a major Western democracy uh, in a uh, in a, a coup d'etat, in an anti-democratic, uh, 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 violent act. And uh, it's hard for people to accept that, 
because we've also been taught that we live in a special country and that while we know these things go on around the world and we know that our own country has been involved in these things elsewhere, it, it's really, George, it's too much for people to bear the idea that, that this kind of thing uh, could happen here. But what's even worse is that our major institutions, from universities to publishing companies uh, to uh, news media, continue 60 years after this event to insist on a lie. Every major publication you look at, every major TV thing, they do not want to go here. It's too big. It's too disturbing. Everybody's got to keep functioning. They got to sell their ads. They got to make their money. Nobody wants to deal with this. Was there ever a reaction from Nikita Khrushchev from the uh, former Soviet Union? You know, the, whether it was Khrushchev or Castro, I mean, they when, the, when this thing happened, they said, "Oh boy, this is going to be bad." They knew. They knew because, of course, you know, uh, Kennedy had back channels going uh, to Khrushchev. He had back channels going to Castro. And particularly with Khrushchev, that's a great question. You know, Khrushchev was uh, something of a reformer himself, and he had a hard line uh, people in his own country and, and, and actually said that uh, both he and Kennedy were aligned in a way, trying to find a way to have peace, but they themselves were both up against uh, 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 interest in their own country, military and 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 economic yeah. and uh, warmongers, warmongers. Yeah, yeah. yeah, both of them had that. I mean, that's how they solved the Cuban Missile Crisis. Together, they said, "Look, if you and I can't get this done, our generals are going to do something very bad." Yep. And and uh, and they worked it out. They worked it out. And also, what happened with Kennedy when he came into office? He did not provide the air support at the Bay of Pigs. Did they blame him for that disaster? They did. But, you see, that gets much more complicated, too, George, because I, I actually believe that uh, Alan Dulles knew that Bay of Pigs was going to fail. And even the story that they were mad at Kennedy for not providing the air cover, I think Alan Dulles knew that Kennedy could not provide the air cover because it would basically be a U.S. invasion of a so- sovereign country. He wasn't going to do that. You know, frankly, no president would have done that. And so I think the whole, even, the, the, even the fake story uh, after the fake story is still fake. In other words, look, Kennedy wanted to get rid of Alan Dulles, never wanted him to be the CIA director. So what Alan Dulles was all about was that he had a problem with Kennedy. And here's another question before we take calls, Russ. Batista, who was heading up Cuba before Castro tossed him out, was a crook. He was a mobster. He dealt with the mob. I mean, it was unbelievable, yet he was friendly to the United States. Didn't Castro come to us for help first and we turned him down? Yeah, I mean, you know, the U.S., a lot of people liked Castro. You may remember they, they sent reporters to be with him and his guerrillas in the mountains, and they wrote sort of laudatory things of him. They saw him as a, you know— uh, Freedom fighter. Yeah, you know, they saw him as a guy who was honest, basically. And, you know, nobody liked Batista. I mean, even organized crime. I mean, this guy was just shaking everybody down. So even organized crime would have, would have liked somebody they could have worked with who wasn't as, as crooked as, as he was. Uh, and so nobody really liked Batista. You know, he had uh, uh, human rights violations, a, a dirty police and everything else. Uh, and so I think there was a hope. 
that uh, that Castro was going to work out. And then, of course, uh, you know, they started pressing him. There's a whole interesting backstory about Castro, by the way, uh, that uh, they talk about that the U.S. corporations got mad at him. Well, they were all cheating. You know, they were all cheating. You know, this this stuff about you know, like with Trump with the misvaluing his properties. I mean, the same thing. Uh, the American companies were in there, were paying no taxes. You know, they were misvaluing his stuff. So when they had they had fallow land, you know, these big American companies had had thousands of acres of land that they weren't using at all. I had no plans to use, and there were all these you know starving peasants. So Castro said, "I'd like to use some of this land and give it to people so they can have farms." And the company said, "Well, you got to pay us for them." He said, "All right. Well, let's see. You you valued your land at uh, ten cents <laughs> on a dollar. That's what I'll give you." And of course, they were furious. West of the Rockies, Jim is with us, Newport Beach, California. Hey, Jimmy, go ahead. Hey, Russ Baker. It's an honor to talk with you. Thank you, sir. I read your book, uh, Family of Secrets. I think it's fantastic. It's a it's a it's a very convincing case that uh, George H. W. Bush and his father and his son, for that matter, all of them out of Yale and out of Skull and Bones into CIA directly. Right? I think so. How did you uncover all that information, Russ? <laughs> there is no easy way. I mean, I, I just tell people, you know, if, you know, there are a lot of people out there. They call themselves investigative reporters and stuff, and they're mostly recycling stuff. Uh, the, the the work itself is it's not particularly glamorous. I mean, I've got. I'm looking at my shelves. I've got you know a thousand books here, and I've got huge numbers of documents. It's just it's just a you know if you want to get into this stuff, it is just a tremendous amount of work. There's no other way to do it. You got to be really curious. You got to be uh, a little bit obsessed, maybe. But uh, I've enjoyed it. I mean, I find it a good, uh, edifying life, and uh, I don't regret it. Let's go to Paul in Indiana, first time caller. Thanks, Paul. Go ahead. Hi, George. Thank you for taking my call. Thank uh, you. Russ, thank you for the work that you do. I was going to ask you a couple quick things. If you think there's a possibility of the shear in the storm drain? And also the connection to the Dallas mayor that his brother was fired by Kennedy as deputy director of the CIA. And I'll take my answer off the air. Thank you. Uh, yeah, well, um, you know, where shooters were, first of all, um, and now I am not an expert on all the trajectories and things, but there are indications that there were, may have been many, many shots. And, uh, of course, the, you know, the autopsy, as far as we could tell, they they basically did a pre-autopsy before the official autopsy to get get rid of all those extra indications of bullets. He may have been hit by by uh, more bullets, and then there were plenty of bullets that uh, appear to have missed. Um, so there's the possibility. I mean, they wanted to make sure this guy was dead because if they shot at him and they failed, can you imagine what would have happened? So they had to make sure he was dead. That was the most important thing. Uh, it it does seem that that uh, uh, head shot came from the front. It's The throat shot uh, seems to have come from the front. Um, and there is, by the way, a forensic study by a very reputable uh, uh, corporation that does uh, studies of uh, accidents and explosions and things. And they, they put a huge number of, uh, of uh, digital pointers in, in Dealey Plaza, and they measured the whole thing. They 
they say, and I'll have a piece up about this, that the uh, that the single bullet theory is literally impossible. That means, yes, there were people shooting different spots. Uh, I'm almost certain they were from the front. Storm drain, I don't know. That's one theory. Uh, and the other uh, uh, issue, uh, what was the other thing the gentleman said? He raised another he, issue. He was, he was breaking up. That's okay. Okay. I was the first that we heard about the Zabruder film in Life magazine. Uh, so so the oh my God, I've spent years on the Zapruder thing. Here's the here here here's what happened. So Zapruder films this thing, and by the way, Zapruder himself is worth looking into. In other words, there's a lot of stuff here that's not really been explored. But um, uh, he he he's there. He films. Uh, he he sells his film to Life magazine. Now Life magazine. Then um, now they're a news organization, Time Life. The first thing they should have wanted to do is take that film and air it. You know, okay, maybe you're not going to air everything. We're certainly going to air this historic footage that's incredibly relevant and valuable. But instead of airing it, they take it, they they take some stills from it, and then they lock the thing up uh, for years. They lock it up so nobody can see it. That's not normal behavior of a news organization. And then you have to know that the uh, the, the the head of Time Life was a very very close friend of Alan Dulles, oh, and in fact geez. the the publisher uh, uh, of Life uh, uh, had uh, had worked for the CIA. So that's very important to know the use of news organizations by these intelligence organizations. Uh, so uh, they they published the stills uh, in Life magazine, but what they did was they published them. Are you ready, George? In the wrong order, so it looks like his head is going forward. I remember that. But then they come up with some cockamamie excuse that if you get hit from the back, your head goes backward instead of forwards. Yes, they they have used every ridiculous, non-intuitive theory imaginable. They still use them today. By the way, now I remember what what the the other thing the fellow said. He was talking about the mayor of Dallas. Uh, and that mayor of Dallas, Earl Cobble, his brother Charles Cobble, was Alan Dulles's deputy director of the CIA, also fired by Kennedy. Uh, Charles Cobble, General Charles Cobble, hated Kennedy, and he, he went around saying that. Now, his brother is the, is the mayor of Dallas at the time that they planned this trip. He's all involved with planning it, and we found a CIA document. You can find it. Go to our website, whowhatwhy.org, and just type in C-A-B-E-L-L, Cobble. And that guy, the mayor of Dallas, we found a CIA document from the late 50s that they were using him as an asset. That is amazing. Andrew in Fountain Valley, California. Hey, Andrew, go ahead. Hello, uh, George. Thank you for taking my call. Happy Thanksgiving. You too, Aaron. Uh, Russ Baker and uh, uh, George and all coasters. Why kill Kennedy? Who stands to benefit? Who has the power to cover it up? Missing brain? The Zapruder film, I mean, it's clearly from the front. It makes me sad to have such a leader taken from us. And what does that say about the establishment I serve? Remember our fallen king. Thank you. It was a tragedy, no doubt. And uh, it was one of the worst periods of our life. And we've really never been the same, Russ, since. We, we, we haven't been. And, and I want to say something that not everybody may like, but, you know, I, I am not uh, opposed to government. Uh, I am not opposed to, uh, uh, to systems and so forth. I mean, I think we need them. You know, we, we have to have order in our society. We have to have 
uh, uh, roads and schools and, uh, and air traffic control and a military. We have to have all those things. And I think that the vast majority of people uh, working in, uh, whether it's a company or the, or the federal government or the military or anything, are trying to do their jobs. I want to be clear about this because I think it's destructive to be – to uh, to take too much of a sort of an anarchist approach and just dismiss everything as dirty because not everything is dirty and I, I have to tell you there are loads of people in the federal government I have met with U.S. senators I had a U.S. senator come to New York and he said listen I I, I have to grab a cup of coffee with you he said I need you to summarize what's in your book because I'm told I need to know this I said well, why don't you read the book he said I don't have time to read a book. So there we are. You know, there are good people in the U.S. Senate. There are good people in the in the Pentagon and so on, and they're trying to do the right thing. This is not that everybody's bad. It's that there are certainly elements uh, in any institution that are going to do things in their own self-interest, and that's what we're looking for. Ross, uh, as uh, Dwight Eisenhower said that when he was leaving office, be very wary of the military-industrial complex. Indeed. And he was right indeed. Let us know when that second book is done, my friend. Okay. And you have a great Thanksgiving, Russ. You too. Good talking to you, George. Russ Baker, his website, whowhatwhy.org, is linked up for you at coasttocoastam.com. Now, once again, we will be live for you tomorrow on Thanksgiving. So when you're done with your festivities or if maybe you're just staying home all by yourself, just turn on the radio because we'll be here for you on the holidays and uh, it should be a great show. We've got Doc Wallach from criticalhealthnews.com to give us some holiday health tips. And then we're going to talk about your dreams. So a live show on Thanksgiving. We'll see you then. For Dan Galanti, Tom Danheiser, Lisa Lyon, Lex Lonehood, Sean Ladasaur, Stephanie Smith, Chris Burroughs, Tim Benall, George Knapp, and Ian Punnett, I'm George Norrie, somewhere out there on Coast to Coast AM. We'll see you on our next edition. Until then, be safe, everyone.